0: Initially conceived as a temporary solution for vulnerable immigrants, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program has become an intractable political battlefield as Congress continues to punt, year after year, a comprehensive overhaul of the country's immigration program. After Congress stalemated on protecting one of the most sympathetic populations of immigrants, people brought to the country as children but with no legal status, or dreamers as they're called, President Barack Obama in 2012 created the DACA program, to provide temporary protected status for them. The program, a rare one of such nature with bipartisan support, enabled such folks to get work permits and go to school without the fear of deportation. After Donald Trump took office in 2017, he tried to end the program. When that failed, critics of the program went to court to end it there. The latest chapter has underscored the fragility of even a government policy that has been around for almost 10 years. A district court judge in Texas last week struck it down, blocking new applications, but allowing the currently more than 600,000 recipients to stay in the program. More court cases will work their way through the system, but the onus is now also on a Congress that has tried and failed for years to address the topic. CQ Roll Call staff writer Suzanne Moniak joins us on the Political Theater podcast to talk about why even a popular program with support on both sides of the aisle continues to be such a political football. And we're going to talk about what's next. Suzanne, welcome to Political Theater.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So let's start with the news, and then we'll kind of backtrack to... The beginnings of the program and and how we got to this stage. Let's let, let's the the district court uh, judge who struck down the program in Texas last week. This this was actually set in motion last year when the Supreme Court uh, ruled on a on a DACA case. Let's talk about that Supreme Court case and how it led to what happened on Friday.
1: As you mentioned, this did go up before the U.S. Supreme Court last year, but actually, this is while both bringing very high stakes for DACA recipients. Those two cases were actually about different legal issues, um, which I think is important to emphasize here. So the Supreme Court case was actually related to the Trump administration's decision to end DACA. So there was all of this litigation brought by universities, businesses, DACA recipients themselves, challenging the way the Trump administration attempted to terminate the program. So in that ruling by the high court last year, the justices said that the way the Trump administration had ended DACA or tried to was improper and illegal. Basically, you know, Look, taking a look at the fact that the Trump administration had not you know, properly considered what's known as like the reliance interests of people who depend so much on the DACA program. So this Texas case is actually filed back in 2018, but had been on pause for a bit during the Trump administration. And what's at issue there is the core legality of DACA. Texas and other states have said that the program itself is illegal. So while both cases do focus on DACA, um, they actually had different you know, legal issues at their heart.
0: Yeah, it, it seemed to me like last year the Supreme Court uh, managed to um, disappoint everybody, right? And in, in, in some way or another, they they ruled that the Trump administration, which which tried to just rescind the program entirely through executive fiat, that they couldn't do that. But then they also said, "But we're going to let we're now going to allow the courts to to get their uh, say on it by saying it was judicially reviewable," and that's what led to the, all these. Court cases, as you mentioned, some of them dating back before the Supreme Court case to get legs, and then this was the inevitable decision. And there's more things in the pipeline, uh, you know, about the the program itself. But it seems like this uh, this was really set in motion. It was only a matter of time after the Supreme Court ruled in a five four decision, too, uh, that you know that okay, this is okay for the courts to look at this, and and lo and behold, we have our first decision, and it and it affects you know hundreds of thousands of people.
1: Yes, no, absolutely. And the fact that this decision is on the core legality of the program is also very significant um, because whereas the Supreme Court decision was on you know one administration's attempt to end the program, it was a bit more procedural, uh, whereas this one is literally about whether DACA is legal, whether the executive branch can implement such a program. So that could absolutely have farther reaching consequences beyond, you know, just DACA even
0: and so let's let's talk about some of the origins of the program um i mean the, you know immigration i mean this is a this is a nation of immigrants right i mean like the, the immigration has been at the core of some of the country's deepest political debates going back to the founding of the country um but this current Fight. Uh, I mean, some of this dates from the early 2000s. I mean, Congress was really picking up momentum at different stages for a, a, a big comprehensive reworking of the immigration system. They tried several times under President Bush and under President uh, Obama to, to, you know, figure out like how they can, you know, create a Pathway to citizenship and legalize some folks who are here, and also you know just basically make it a, a system that makes a little bit more sense than it did or does. And when and Obama in particular said like you know he was pressured for for years to create this you know sort of temporary legal status for for the most vulnerable and sympathetic you know people you know immigrants like th- those who were brought to the country as as little kids they had no choice in w- in what they were you know where they were being brought whether it was from Mexico or the Philippines or wherever And, you know, they, so these, and a lot of these kids are like, you know, they're going to school, they're in the military, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're they've never known another home. And Obama, you know, really resisted doing anything by executive order, but like there was just one failure too many in Congress. That sounds familiar. And then in 2012, he created the program and, and like, let's talk about exactly what the program does too.
1: Yeah, so um, the Obama-era program was implemented in 2012, and it essentially gives work permits and deportation protections to, as you mentioned, certain undocumented immigrants who were brought here when they were kids. Um, but the program is also somewhat limited in scope. It only applies to those who were in the country as of June 2007. Obviously, it's now 2021. There are, you know, eighth graders who were born after that start time who may be in the country uh, without legal status right now.
0: Thanks so. for making
1: me feel old, Suzanne. <laughs> well, I mean, me too, but <laughs> Um, so it's, well, you know, obviously was a very, you know, it was a huge deal to undocumented immigrants and immigrant activists when it was announced in 2012, it's been nine years and it hasn't expanded. And so that's also something immigrant advocates are really pushing for right now is to even just have that be, you know, to cover more people.
0: And I, again, it, it underscores how, you know, sometimes these temporary solutions, you know, uh, however well-defined at the time or, or well-intentioned they They get complicated really fast because this was never really supposed to be a permanent solution uh, for you know putting folks on a on a on a pathway to citizenship. This was supposed to be a like, hey, let's not deport people who were brought here innocently and are you know and are graduating from high school and and haven't ever been they may have never been to their home country since they left when they were like one or two years old um and and it's just this thing where it just it it it's sort of taken the veneer of a permanent thing, even though it's like it was the slimmest of sort of um, you know kind of just stand-up programs that were just meant to fill a need for a very short period of time.
1: Right. It was created by agency memo, uh, which in of itself makes it a bit more procedurally vulnerable in court. And yes, as as you said, I mean obviously as we've seen by all these court cases that you know the program. Is you know not procedurally strong. Uh, it's not the same as legislation that creates permanent protections. It's you know not even a regulation. It's it's far below that.
0: So I mean, over the years, I mean, even before Obama created the program in 2012, uh, and as actually as as you mentioned, it was a it was a memo from uh, the Homeland Security Secretary at the time, Janet Napolitano, just sort of giving wider prosecutorial. Uh, you know uh, flexibility to people so they didn't deport them. It was before being firmed up a little bit more subsequently. Um, members of Congress on both sides of the aisle were working on past the citizenship and protecting the dreamers, as they're called. Uh, before they have been working on legislation after people like Dick Durbin and John Cornyn, you know, seem to have brought very sincere efforts uh, to try and figure out what was you know, a path forward. Why why have they failed so often? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, the last you know, as you mentioned last bill time with that you know comprehensive immigration overhaul legislation was viable was back in 2013. It actually did pass the Senate, it was bipartisan, but then never got taken up in the House and it just died in that Congress. And then since then it's just been you know a constant stalemate um, which you know it's more politically complex than this, but essentially just boils down to Republicans won't give legalization without heightened border security, and Democrats are just not interested in taking that deal anymore. Um, they feel that they have already given enough on border security and that it's time to you know pass a citizenship measure.
0: And where are we on current legislation in this Congress uh, regarding the dreamers and 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 particularly the DACA program and and the and the population that it serves?
1: Right. So back in March, um, the House of Representatives, which um, is you know controlled by Democrats, passed legislation called the Dream and Promise Act, which would essentially create a path to citizenship for not only active doctor recipients, but um Anyone in a more inclusive time period of DACA eligible individuals of others who were brought to the U.S. as children, as well as people who are living here right now under humanitarian protections like deferred enforced departure or temporary protected status, which are temporary immigration protections for people from countries that are designated to be in crisis. So that's a much more expansive bill than has been considered before. But that did pass the House with nine Republican votes back in March the Senate has had a few hearings on it, but it hasn't gained significant traction. Republicans essentially say it's dead on arrival um, and won't make it um, pass the filibuster. Meanwhile, in the Senate, there have been a few more narrow bills put forward, uh, also bipartisan, but those have come with border security measures attached. Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin have proposed a more narrow dreamer bill to create a path to citizenship for dreamers. But Lindsey Graham himself will say that he would not be in favor of passing that bill as a standalone measure. But would instead want to see border security provisions added to it in order for that to pass.
0: One of the current legislative efforts we're seeing, Suzanne, is that Democrats are assembling a budget reconciliation package. This is a, a part of the budget process, which enables them to evade a filibuster uh, and just pass things on majority uh, with majority support in both chambers. And one of the, you know, the the possible. Um, efforts that we're looking at is some sort of path to citizenship or protection for DREAMers as part of the reconciliation uh, bill. There's a couple of members who have said that this is very doable. Chewy Garcia, a Democrat from Illinois in the House, and Alex Padilla, who's a Democratic senator from California. They say that they think that this can happen. But where where are we? we? I know we don't know the full contours of the reconciliation package, but how likely do you think we're going to see something like that uh, happen in the reconciliation
1: bill? Yeah, well, I think we're definitely going to see it attempted. Um, there's a lot you know, writing on reconciliation and immigration right now. Uh, I think a lot of immigrant advocates have really put all their hopes on that process at the moment, just because most people do agree that there are just not 10 Republican votes in the Senate for a legalization without border security. Um, That's just, you know, doesn't really seem like a realistic path forward. So a reconciliation measure that can pass with a straight majority does seem at this point to be the most viable way forward for Democrats to get citizenship passed this year. Um, But that being said, a lot right now is also hinging on the Senate parliamentarian and whether she is going to allow a provision like that granting citizenship to undocumented immigrants to Go through budget reconciliation, which is you know intended for measures that affect the federal budget. So um, it's going to depend a lot just on that ruling, honestly. Um, if she allows it, I think there is a lot of support among Democrats to pass something like that.
0: Yeah, and and I, I should state too that because of these rules uh, that the parliamentarian and and also you know just members of Congress try to adhere to with reconciliation, they 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 have to make it. Uh, be about taxes and spending basically is is the is the is kind of the bottom line so if it has to do with fees that are generated through you know immigration and so forth that it's a little easier sell but it also has these sort of temporary windows that they have to work with too so uh, we may be looking i mean depending on how it comes out another temporary solution which (laughs) in 10 year, 10 more years we'll do another podcast on it right suzanne
1: (laughs) yes Well, I mean, there may be another one forthcoming because we've talked about Congress and the courts, but the Department of Homeland Security is also working on a regulation right now to reissue DACA in a way that they hope will potentially address some of the issues in the Texas court ruling on Friday. So then we may have a somewhat revamped DACA program coming in the next few months. So we could be back talking about that.
0: For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope we, we will definitely be talking about it within <laughs> before 10 years. Uh, those those, But uh, I, I also, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, you, I mean, that we obviously a lot of eyes are on this Texas decision. Um, but there, what are some of the other court cases that you're following that could also affect the program that might be, you know, kind of finding their way into the, the, the body politic as we, you know, you know, continue to, to debate and sort of analyze this situation?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, obviously the first place to be watching with this Texas case is going to be at the Fifth Circuit, which is where they would appeal it. The Biden administration has said they plan to appeal. And I think this would be the kind of case that could absolutely make its way up to the Supreme Court. But while those appeals are pending, it's a slow process. uh, I'm also watching a federal case out of the Eastern District of New York in Brooklyn right now. That was one of the origin cases for the Supreme Court case of last year that we discussed earlier. But what's interesting about that case is that after the Supreme Court had you know, ruled the Trump administration had improperly rescinded DACA, the Trump administration did not initially fully resume the program. They kind of sat on it for a little bit. And then the initial parties in the case had to go back to the lower court and say like, hey, you need to issue some kind of order to force the Trump administration to do this because they haven't yet. And so that federal court judge actually issued an injunction in December saying, requiring the Department of Homeland Security to approve new DACA applications. Now, of course, this Texas court ruling is saying that the Department of Homeland Security cannot approve new DACA applications. A lawyer for the case sort of described the two orders as being in tension. So that's another kind of interesting place to watch is, will there be a subsequent order? And then New York court clarifying things. Judge Hayden in Texas is a district court judge, as is this Judge of the Eastern District of New York, they're in equal positions. We could potentially see dueling orders, which is raising some of the complicated issues related to nationwide injunctions out of district courts.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you just look at the, you know, where district judges get their jobs, right? They're recommended by their home state senators. Um, you know, somebody from New York who has been recommended by someone like Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand, or, you know. Hillary Clinton when she was a senator, you know, th- 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 those folks are going to be ruling theoretically a little differently than someone who Ted Cruz and John Cornyn uh, have signed off on in, in Texas, um, depending, again, depending on when uh, these different judges came to the circuit court. So, it, I mean, it can quickly get confusing.
1: Yes, especially if there's multiple cases going on across the country, um, you know, When it comes to immigration, it's confusing if it's not a nationwide injunction. You can have instances where an immigration policy is, you know, being implemented in one area and not in another. That did happen with some of the Trump administration's asylum restrictions that were being challenged in courts across the country. But at the same time, if you have, you know, two courts with conflicting rulings, um, both with nationwide application, that can also create a lot of confusion for DACA recipients who are already navigating an immigration system that is incredibly complex inherently. So, um, definitely more confusion uh, ahead in, in the courts on daca
0: and and finally, I mean, you, you mentioned that, you know, uh, earlier that like the you know this this population of 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 people who are covered by DACA, you know, the again, children, you know, grown people, adults or younger people who were brought to the country. Um, you know, by an older person or a, or a parent, you know, and in a lot of cases, have no memory even of being, you know, from uh, from their home country. Um, this is a very like sympathetic uh, population, and there aren't. There aren't a ton of people who think that this that these folks shouldn't have some kind of route to citizenship. I mean, it is a, it is a fairly popular program, but have we really ever seen what the political fallout is from not addressing this? It seems like it, it's a it's something that kind of perpetuates. You mentioned that Democrats don't feel compelled to take trade-offs like a enhanced border security, you know, with a pathway to citizenship for the for dreamers. Um, are what do you? Th- What's your take on the politics of this? Are Democrats in a good position to sort of stand firm and say like, no, we just need to protect DACA, you know, uh, recipients and DACA eligible kids and, and young adults, or are Republicans, you know, feeling that they're that they're in a better position because of you know the situation at the border right now is something they can point to and say like, no, we have to address the whole system.
1: Yeah, so DACA poll is incredibly popular among Americans and the um, like just across the country. I think in this instance, Democrats, I think, are the ones with more political liability here. Um, when you know they took the Senate and they have a majority in Congress, I think voters really expect them to deliver. And I think if they don't deliver on this issue, voters will blame them in the polls, at the midterms. So, I mean, I think that Democrats, while yes, I think that they will take a lot of hit politically if they accept and enhanced border security measures, but they're also going to take a lot of heat politically if they don't get this done. So I think they are in a little bit of a tough position right now where no one's going to be happy in either place. It's also, I think, worth mentioning that we're talking about pretty different scopes in some of these bills that are being considered. The one that passed the House was pretty broad. That would include, you know, millions of undocumented immigrants. The one that's um, potentially been, the one that has been introduced in the Senate is much more narrow and only covers active DACA recipients. So that would be not even include, say, that 13-year-old who was, you know, Born in two thousand eight, um, and has you know lived here for most of their lives as well. So, um, you know, I think that that's also a place that Democrats have to sort of be mindful politically of is that even DACA recipients themselves are often on the front lines of pushing for wider protections than just them. Like I've spoken to a Dr. recipient recently who was telling me that you know she wants protections for her parents who are undocumented. She doesn't just want to be the only one, you know, in the family with citizenship, she wants it to apply to her parents as well, or, you know, doc recipients want their younger siblings protected. So, you know, Democrats have, are a little bit between a rock and a hard place politically, but if they, you know, really want to do something, you know, meaningful for this community, at least as this community is saying that they would like to see, it's got to be broader than, you know, citizenship for, you know, several hundred thousand active DACA recipients. And that's just where Republicans aren't, you know, going to budge. They are wanting border security in exchange for just citizenship for those active recipients. So I I really think that reconciliation is the place where if they want to deliver, that's their opportunity to do so without Republicans. Um, There's just not another, you know, great path forward for Democrats in a bipartisan way, unless they can really get Republicans to give um, in certain areas.
0: Well, Suzanne, I I really appreciate you sort of, you know, kind of breaking this down. This is an incredibly (laughs) complex uh, issue. I mean, you know, we focus just on really the the DACA program. It's hard not to talk about the broader immigration program. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) we have to go back like decades to say like how we we got here. Um, But I feel like, you know, you've really provided us a, a good you know, sort of encapsulation of of what we can, what we're going to see politically in the courts and in Congress uh, and in the administration, you know, going forward, at least in the short term. So thank you very much. And I look forward to uh, talking to you again as we try to sort this out.
1: You too. Thanks again for having me on.